You know, uh, 32 years ago, nine months and eight days, my life changed forever. One day changed my life in such a way that I've never been the same. You see, June 30th, 1990 was the day Leslie and I got married. And so that day will forever, that day forever will um, be a special day. She said, I do. I said, I do. It was almost a perfect day, except when the, when the minister said, you may now kiss the bride, I was so anxious to get out of there, I turned to leave, and he had to kind of grab me and say, Sean, you may now kiss the bride. <laughs> that was the part I thought I would not forget about the wedding, and so I kissed Leslie, and we made our way down the aisle, and, and we were there in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, in her home church, and as we were leaving the church to go to the reception, you know, folks gathered outside on the steps with rice and the little bags with the ribbon on them, those little sachets or whatever, and you're supposed to open the bag and then throw the rice. Well, our best man, uh, Pat Suter, who was a good friend of mine, um, he decided to throw the whole bag untied at me, and you can see his hand extended here. If you focus in, you can see the little bag leaving his hand. And then as he threw it, it just was so perfect for Pat, he just thought that was the greatest moment of our relationship because the bag caught between my glasses and my face. And so I got in the car waving at everyone, our you know, big day, and I've got this bag hanging between my glasses and my eye. It was an almost perfect day, but it was a day that changed my life forever. Everything else except for me forgetting to kiss the bride and that little, little bag getting caught between my glasses, it was a wonderful day. Today we celebrate a day that was a perfect day, sovereignly designed to be such by our Lord and his plan to redeem and save us. Today we celebrate the third day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you have been with us over the last few weeks here at Calvary, we've been talking about three days that changed the world. We've talked about how Good Friday changed the world, Silent Saturday changed the world. And today we come to the culmination of those three days, Resurrection Sunday, the third day. This is the culmination of it all, of God's plan in providing redemption for you and for me. If you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. You can go there in your hard copy of the Bible, or if you have a mobile device like I have with me, my iPad, you can go to a Bible app and follow along in Luke chapter 24 in just a moment. I want us to understand this on this Resurrection Sunday morning. Through his third day resurrection, Jesus demonstrated that he is indeed the savior of the world and the king of kings. He, through the resurrection, made this final statement that he had conquered sin and death and hell once and for all and forever. He is the savior of the world, the king of kings and lord of lords. That's really important to understand how that day changed everything. 19th or 20th century humorist Evan S.R. said, Easter is the only time when it's perfectly safe to put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> you take your past, your present, your future, and you put it on Jesus, and you trust him with everything. I meet people who will say, I believe Jesus is the savior of the world. I believe he's the king of kings and lord of lords. But I go a little further and I ask him a couple of questions I want to ask you today. Is he your savior? Is he your king? Is he your savior? Is he your king? Have you 
embraced Jesus as your personal savior? Have you given him control and lordship of your life? Or is your relationship with Jesus something distant? Yes, he's the savior of the world. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, but it doesn't affect you. I hope on this Easter, if you have never embraced Jesus as your personal savior, that you will today. I hope if you have embraced Jesus as your savior, that you'll take your past, your, your future, and your present, and, and you will cast it on him and allow him to be lord of the good, bad, and ugly of your life and submit to him as king over you. Let's look at Luke chapter 24, verses one through 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? And then these angels quote Jesus. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified on the third day and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, they are gonna find out what had happened as Jesus would appear to them later that day and to the disciples and Peter. For the next 40 days, he would appear to them multiple occasions. He would then gather his disciples, and he would ascend to the Father, and he would promised them the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and 10 days later, the Holy Spirit came, and the church was birthed, and the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus began to spread as disciples were made around the world, and even to the point that it's reached us here today in Westlake Village, California. As you consider the resurrection with me today, as we think about the risen Savior and King, I want us to examine what this means in terms of our past, our future, and our present. Let's begin with this, that because of the risen Savior and King, number one, the guilt and pain of yesterday no longer have the power to drag you down. I meet a lot of Christians who are being dragged down by the guilt and shame of something they've done in the past, somebody they hurt, something that they did, something that is so shameful that they just can't believe God could forgive them. I'm here to tell you, you can't do anything to make God love you any more or any less than the love he has given you through Jesus. And I, I meet people who look at their, their, their struggles of the past, whether it's something that was done to them in their childhood or mental health issues that they or someone they love wrestled with or addiction or just suffering in this broken world and they carry the wounds forward and we all have that inner critic and some of us have even family and friends who pile on. Sometimes it's Satan himself who points back to these wounds and these problems and these struggles, these pains and, and those things of our past, whether it be the sin and guilt or the pain and the wounds, they drag us down from being able to flourish and thrive for Jesus today. But because of the resurrection, we have freedom from the power of that stuff. 
Watchman Nee said, our old history ends with the cross, our new history begins with the resurrection. What does this mean for us? That the guilt and pain of yesterday no longer have the power to drag us down today. Number one, the risen Savior offers you forgiveness. Offers you forgiveness. Peter looks in the tomb in verse 12 here in Luke 24, and, and he looks in and he goes away wondering about what has happened. Within days, Jesus would come alongside him, and Peter was carrying the guilt of that denial, the denying Jesus three times while Jesus was being beaten and tried, and, and Jesus is going to offer him forgiveness and restoration. I don't know what it is in your past that maybe just keeps being thrown in your face. You just can't forgive yourself over. The risen Savior offers you complete forgiveness. Embrace him as your Savior. Experience his cleansing. Allow him to release you from the guilt of your past. I love how the author of Amazing Grace, the great hymn, put it. John Newton said, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. I think we can all say that today. And yet we are freed and forgiven through the risen Savior. Secondly, the risen King offers you healing. When you deal with the wounds of your past, it may be that God in his will will choose to physically heal you, but one thing we do know is that God walks with us in healing and finding recovery and renewal from the wounds and pains that may go all the way back to our childhood. And some of you are carrying some wounds that have shaped your outlook and how you deal with life, and it's, it's dragging you down. How do I know that there is complete healing in the risen king? There is this promise that one day when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom forever, that Revelation 21.5 tells us He's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more cancer. He's going to wipe away every tear. And when we know him as our Savior and we submit even the wounds of our past to him as the Lord of our lives, we can experience the healing he wants us to experience today. Some of you were here a couple weeks ago. We talked about the pain and the sin of our past. And how Jesus died to take care of that. And I want to say something today that I said then. For some of you, it'll be a, a repeat of what you heard. For some of you, you, may not have heard this. I want you to understand that your worst moment in your past, your worst moment will not have the final say. Whatever happened to you, whatever wounds you've carried, whatever pain or suffering you've experienced, it will not have the final say. It doesn't define you because Jesus is king over death, the grave, and hell, the greatest threat to all of humanity. We are freed. We don't have to be defined by that. We are free. Your worst moment will not have the final say about you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you know him as your Savior, will have the final say about you. Secondly, because of the risen Savior and King, the fear and uncertainty of tomorrow no longer have the power to hold you back. Some people are being dragged down by the past. Some people, because of the fog on the horizon, there's fear and uncertainty about the medical tests and what they mean, the rumors at work about the job, about the business. 
The fear that 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 counseling just isn't going to heal that marriage that's broken, and the fear that the family stuff isn't going to be worked out, and there's just this fear and uncertainty about tomorrow that often holds us back, immobilizes us from flourishing and thriving in Christ today. Fear is a powerful thing, but in many ways it accomplishes very little. Max Lucado, the pastor and author, writes this about fear. Fear never wrote a symphony or a poem, negotiated a peace treaty, or cured a disease. Fear never pulled a family out of poverty or a country out of bigotry. Fear never saved a marriage or a business. Courage did that. Faith did that. People who never consulted with or cowered to their timidities but trusted God did that. What does that mean for us? Well, the risen Savior offers you hope, hope, that as you move forward into that tomorrow where it may not be clear and there are uncertainties and frightening things and things that would worry you, as you step forward, you step forward with one who holds your hand if you're his child. The risen king has walked through death itself and has conquered the grave for you so that you are free As you walk with him into the uncertainty of tomorrow, you know one thing, he will be with you and he will never leave you. These women rush back to tell the disciples he's alive. Just like he said, and the angels just told us, and they said, this doesn't make any sense. Hope doesn't make sense. As an idea or a theory or a philosophy, See, the hope we're talking about on this Resurrection Sunday is not just a theological proposition, not just an idea or a concept that's out there. Hope is embodied in the risen Savior and King. He offers you hope. Now, for some of you, I know your journey has been so dark and and so heavy, and what you're going through right now and the things that are ahead seem so murky and uncertain that it's hard for you to even celebrate today. Yesterday in the New York Times a professor from Wheaton College, a Christian college just outside of Chicago, Esau McCulley, wrote a great opinion piece. I love his title of this piece. It's Easter reminds me that hope is a demanding emotion. Hope makes a lot of demands on us. McCulley relates to the idea that he himself, just in his personality, is, is a bit of a melancholy type of person. So he often sees the glass half empty, not half full. He talks about being raised in the South and facing bigotry as a young black man and how that just added to the weight of his not being able to see hope at times. And in this opinion piece in the Times, Macaulay writes this, I have never been a big fan of hope. It's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate is a much less insistent master. What I like about how verse four in Luke 24 says the women wondered and then Peter leaves wondering is because there's just this idea that maybe this could be true. And if it's true, there is this thread of hope that becomes this amazing rope we can hold on to. And he writes that here. He says, hate is a much less insistent master. It asks you only to loathe. Hate is quite happy to have you to itself and doesn't ask you to go anywhere. 
He then talks about how hope is found in Jesus, and it's an indestructible hope. Macaulay writes that indestructibility of hope might be the central and most radical claim of Easter, that three days after Jesus was killed, he returned to his disciples physically, and that made all the difference. Easter, then, is not a metaphor for new beginnings. It is about encountering the person who, despite every disappointment we experience with ourselves and with this world, gives us a reason to carry on. Some of you struggle today because of the weight you're under in your past or the things that are on the horizon about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year that worry you. And I want you to know, hope isn't an idea. Hope is a person. We have a living hope in Jesus, and that's what can help you lean into Jesus when when you don't know what to do with your tomorrow. He'll move you forward rather than allowing the fear and uncertainty to hold you back. Macaulay concludes his opinion piece with this. So this Easter, I will make my way with my family to the south side of Chicago, to that congregation that serves as our church home. I will do my best to join in the songs of celebration, not because I no longer feel the darkness that has marked so much of my journey, but but because sometimes I still do. Maybe you feel that way. I hope that you will link your hope, not to an idea, not to a concept, not to a theology, but to the one who died, was buried, and is raised for you. The Apostle Peter, three decades after the resurrection of Jesus, would put it this way in 1 Peter 1.3, in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus is our living hope, no matter what's on the horizon. There's hope in Jesus. He will walk with us into tomorrow and will be with us forever. The risen king, secondly, offers you courage. The risen king offers you courage when you deal with the uncertainties and fears about tomorrow that could hold you back. We need courage. We need bravery. A couple of years ago, Pastor Curtis Johnson and I were in a country, we can no longer name the country, that's under such great persecution. We went to a remote city, a big city. It was a very hot time of the year. We came to this hotel that we were gonna be in. We got great partners there, and that's why we can't mention even the country because they're in danger because of the persecution that's come to this very populated nation. And uh, we walked into this hotel, and right away I thought, oh boy, this is gonna be an adventure. I've been in some places in some remote parts of the planet where I've stayed in some interesting hotels and guest houses and things, and whew, I said, this is gonna be an adventure. Now, I don't know what you think of me, but when it comes to descriptions of Sean Thornton, people don't say, adventurous, (laughs) brave, bold, courageous. (laughs) My brother's the one who jumps out of planes. I hold onto the seat in front of me while I'm flying. And so for me, I, I kind of said, all right, but I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm here, I have courage and bravery for Jesus. Got into my room and there was the mattress, no sheets, no blankets, no pillowcase. Found out that's how it comes. So I used some of my clothes, make the sheet and pillow case, kind of laid a, a T-shirt over the pillow. Then I realized the window had a little hole in it and the mosquitoes were coming in. This is a part of the world that has malaria and so I'm batting mosquitoes. I finally fall asleep. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm kind of coughing and, and I smell something and I turn on the light and the, the air conditioning unit that was built into the wall is pumping out some sort of purple smoke. 
And I think, this cannot be good. I turn that off. When I wake up in the morning, I have blisters all over my lips, all over my gums, on my tongue, under my tongue, and the roof of my mouth, and down my throat. Finally, they went away. Never knew what that was other than purple smoke <laughs> from the air conditioner. But I wasn't feeling very well, and I went to get in the shower. It was freezing cold. I remember the manager, this is a small hotel with maybe 10, 12, 12 to 15 rooms, and the manager had come the night before to show each of us how to do all this to make the hot water work. You had to go through a certain rigmarole, and, and so I do all that several times, it's not working. I go down to the front desk, and I said, you know, the guy last night showed me how to do this, and I've done it all, but it's still freezing cold. I'd really like to have a hot shower. And the guy there, the new guy, the morning manager, looks at me and goes, what room are you in? And I said, I'm in room, I'm in room nine. And he says, oh, we've never had hot water in that room. <laughs> so while I'm taking my freezing cold shower with my blisters on my lips and in my mouth, I'm thinking, wow, I am brave and courageous, <laughs> adventurous for Jesus. And then Pastor Curtis and I went to a training school that day with hundreds of 18, 19, 20-year-olds who were going through training to go out and share Jesus with people in that part of the world, millions who've never even heard the name of Jesus. We heard some of their stories, and one man told us that when he came to Christ as his savior, his family disowned him, even had a funeral for him. His sister, when she came to Christ, was killed by friends because of her faith. I started thinking about <laughs> my courage and my bravery, and it kind of shrunk but then, as talking to them, just thought about, you know what? Our God, no matter what we face, no matter what the uncertainties are, what, what could scare us, our God is going to walk with us through these things, even persecution. He goes from the, the simplest things of blisters in our mouths to persecution that can even threaten our very lives. But our God, who is the risen king, he is powerful and strong. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered hell. He has conquered death for us forever. And we can have courage and strength and hope and bravery in him no matter what we face. When we embrace him as our risen king, the king of kings and lord of lords, my king, embrace him today. Thirdly, it's not just about our past or our future, but it's even about today. Because of the risen Savior and King, the anxiety and pressure of today no longer have the power to stress you out. No longer has the power to stress you out. Some of you are under great pressure. Whatever's going on at work or in your marriage or in your family, some other physical thing, a problem with a family member, something going on where, where you feel pressure and anxiety over a specific issue. Maybe you've taken it to the Lord in prayer, but if you feel like it's stressing you out and it's, it's crushing you and overwhelming you, look to the resurrected Savior and King. As the risen Savior, he offers you peace. I wonder if when Peter looked down, he saw the empty tomb, and he begins to go away wondering, what's going on here? What's going on? He begins to remember, even in the upper room, he said he was going to be leaving us. He, he, he told us not to be afraid or be dismayed that he would give us his peace, not as the world gives it. You see, the world says peace only comes in the absence of our problems. But what Jesus promised his followers in the upper room and is repeated throughout the New Testament is the world says peace comes through the absence of our problems. But God says our peace comes in the presence of our God, that he is with us. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a peace 
that the world can't give you. It has nothing to do with the absence or presence of problems. It's about the presence of God with us at all times. The risen Savior offers us peace. Paul called that a peace that human beings can't understand. He said it's, it's the kind of peace that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The risen king offers you peace when you're dealing with the anxiety and pressure of today. The risen king offers you purpose. He offers you purpose. The disciples, after they would meet Jesus in resurrected form, would be sent out by Jesus and they move as the Holy Spirit comes on them to live in love like Jesus, to share the good news. They live intentionally their lives wherever they go in the world. And we as the followers of Christ have the same mission and purpose to live in love like Jesus so others can find the hope of Christ and come to him too so that they can live in love like Jesus and more will come to Jesus and know the resurrected king and the, the, the peace and hope and forgiveness, the healing and courage and purpose that he offers them. We've been telling the story the last couple of weeks. A great guy on our team, the director of our our hospitality and communications, Doug Lehman, how he moved through loss, and dealt with disappointment and loneliness. Today you hear kind of the full story and even how it's moved to hope and peace and purpose in Christ. Watch Doug's story. My wife and I moved to Westlake and started attending Calvary 30 years ago. We would see uh, older couples walking in the lobby, holding hands as they were leaving the building and wanted to be them when we grew up. I come from a father who is very security-minded. Things needed to end well. He wanted to tie it up so it was done right. Well, I got all that. I want the outcome to be just how I planned it to be. That was completely disrupted. Jan passed away from cancer in 2008. Those plans of having grandchildren and playing with them and watch them grow up together, it wasn't going to be that. At that point, the realization and the disappointment of being alone just hits you. There are still times of loneliness and disappointment, but there is hope. There is hope in the purpose that God has for your life the process that um, brings you purpose, brings you closer to those around you, and I would say expands on the desires, loves, plans that you had before in a new way. I am no longer Jan's husband. I am Doug. Uh, who is that? What does he do? How does he live? What's important to him? My wife was one of those people that would meet you, and within moments, she'd know who you are, she'd know your story. So I kind of held back because she took that role. Now that it's just me, I do that. And now I have the opportunity that God has opened me up to have that as a gift he's expanded in me. Uh, I look to my future in Jesus, my future in eternity, and realize that the things that are growing in me now will be even more so as I reach eternity and as I am with him. I have a hope in eternity with Jesus. I have a hope in eternity with Jesus and Jan. 
that joy is real and that joy continues to give me joy and excitement and purpose. I had talked about hope before, but I now see hope as hope that I'm living in today that will be the hope that I will live in for eternity. And it's real. Uh, man, I love, I love Doug. He was gonna retire in 2020. We convinced him not to, to hold out till 2021. Then we convinced him not to retire to 2022. And this Thursday, he's gonna retire. Uh, but we've already convinced him to be a 1099 contractor to work with us on projects. <laughs> because he is a great guy. And I hope you heard the hope and purpose he's found in the Savior, in the King. And that, that confidence that he has in his purpose today. Let me just ask you, as you think about your past, you think about your future, you think about your present, are you being dragged down? Are you being held back? Are you being crushed and stressed out, overwhelmed? Look to the risen Savior. He offers you forgiveness and hope and peace when you embrace him as your personal Savior. Can you say, He's my savior? Can you say he's my savior? If he isn't your savior, put your faith in Jesus today. Simply acknowledge that, yeah, you have sinned in your past, I have sinned in my past, we're all fallen before God, and embrace the one who offers you forgiveness, who offers you hope, who offers you peace because he conquered the grave for you. This is a gift he offers you. In 1833, George Wilson was arrested for robbing the U.S. Postal Service. At that time, the Postal Service conveyed a lot of cash and jewelry and, and a lot of uh, uh, luxurious items and costly items. And so if you robbed the U.S. Postal Service, it was punishable by death. And so he was sentenced to be hanged. Wilson had some friends and family, of course, who didn't want to see that happen. And some of them were of great influence. And they knew then President Andrew Jackson. And so they went to Jackson and asked for pardon. Jackson gave a full pardon to Wilson. Wilson refused the pardon. Family and friends said, it doesn't matter. The government has to stop the execution because the pardon has been offered and granted. And so it became this big court case, got all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court in the 1833 decision between the United States and Wilson, the Supreme Court said this about a pardon that's been offered but not received. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. If it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. Wilson was hanged even though the pardon had been offered. He refused to accept it. God offers you forgiveness, hope, and peace in the risen Savior. Embrace the Savior today. Right where you are, just tell God, I put my faith in Jesus. I don't want him just to be the Savior of the world. I want him to be my Savior. That's the best thing that could happen to you this Easter, is embrace him as your Savior. If you do that, we'd love to celebrate with you. We've got an area in the lobby right out these doors here. It says yes to Jesus everywhere. You can go up. There's a card you can fill out. Folks will greet you there. They'll celebrate with you. That card will help us follow up with you so you can know what it means now to walk from your past into your future right now with Jesus, the risen King. 
So just fill out one of those cards. I have a packet that'll help you know how to, how to walk forward and we'll connect with you. Do that right after the service. If today's the day you embrace Jesus as your savior. If you're here in the room and you've got to move out quickly because of commitments, or maybe you're online, or maybe you say, I just got to tell somebody right now, today's the day I'm making Jesus my Savior, not just the Savior, my Savior, then you can text the name Jesus in a body of a text. Just make that the message, Jesus, to the number 58568, the number below me on the screen. If you're at home joining us, if you're watching online, you can just text that number, uh, text that name, Jesus, to that number, and we'll connect with you, we'll help you. Make sure you know that you've embraced Jesus as your Savior, not just the Savior. Can you say he's my Savior? Can you say he's my King? Some of you say, I know he's my Savior, but you're still being dragged down by your past. You're being held back by your future. You're being crushed, stressed out by your present. Take all of that. Both the Old Testament and New Testament tell us to take our cares to Jesus and cast them on him because he cares for us. It's in the continuous tense. I mean, people say, well, I've cast it on him at least five times this last week. Do it 5,000 times. Physically, even in your prayer, take that worry, that burden, the thing of the past, the thing of the future, the thing you're dealing with right now, and just cast it on Jesus and say, you are king. You are my king. This is yours. I'm putting it on you again and again and watch as God brings you the healing, the courage, and the purpose you need to step forward with him and flourish in Christ in your everyday life and walk. If you know Jesus, just take all of that. Keep casting it on him every day this week. You see, Jesus in his resurrection demonstrated that he is indeed the savior of the world, the king of kings and lord of lords, and it makes a difference in the world forever and in my life and your life forever when we embrace him as our living savior, our living hope. I trust you've done that today. That's what this day is all about, celebrating, honoring, and embracing our living savior, our risen king. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for Jesus. I pray for those who are wrestling with making him their personal savior. May they cross that line of faith today and just commit their lives to you, trusting in you for their forgiveness, their hope, and their peace. I pray for those who know that they have accepted Christ, but they still try to control their past or control their future, control their today without giving control to the Lordship of Christ. May they do that today with the good, bad, and ugly of their lives, the past, present, and future, casting on you, submitting themselves to you as King of kings and Lord of lords, King of their life. Thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for being my King. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.